Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We have verse 1 and then verses 13 through 25, and I'm using the New International Version. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not in the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It is safe to say that religious freedom, which we enjoy in this country, would be but a dream if not for the efforts of our Baptist forefathers and foremothers. Uh, There are many, many names in Baptist history who who found freedom to be the most important ideal within their faith life, and they worked real hard to lift that up. The first name that comes to mind is a guy named Roger Williams, who was an Anglican minister, uh, fed up with the the church in England kind of forcing people. Because, you know, back in the day, when you were born in England, you were automatically a member of the Anglican Church. You were baptized at some point when you were a child without, you wouldn't remember it because you were an infant, but uh, you were baptized into the Anglican Church and that was the church you were a part of and you were assigned a parish, kind of like our wards around here, right? You're assigned a parish to be a part of. And in the Reformation, this whole congregational movement started to emerge that said, now wait a minute, we don't want to just be assigned a congregation. We want to we want a fellowship with people who, who actually believe, right? Who have, who have actually uh, uh, want to work at their faith and, and really struggle to uh, be 
righteous before God. And, you know, they were the, a lot of the Reformation, they were really seeking purity, a purest form of worship of Jesus Christ. And one of the things they thought was, a, was holding them back was a lot of people who were Anglican in name only, right? Who weren't really all that into it. And uh, some would say weren't even really believers and just happened to be assigned this church. And they said, no, nah, forget that. Well, uh, Roger Williams got more and more frustrated with kind of the, the you know, the, the, the imposition of the Anglican church into the life of the people in England. And so he said, ah, that's it, I'm going to the New World. And he, got, he received a calling from the Massachusetts Bay Colony to be one of their ministers. And he sets sail over there and comes only to find that when he gets to the Massachusetts Bay Colony... What is it? It's a full-on theocracy. It's all, you know, it's even worse than England. Except here they don't have the government. They have all the ministers are telling people exactly what to think, feel, and do. And there's no freedom here. It is a full-on, you will follow these rules or else. Not only are you uh, breaking the law, but you're going to hell too. And uh, so this was the antithesis of what Roger, the religious freedom Roger Williams was looking for. And eventually he became a thorn in the side of the, the members of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And so in the, in the middle of the night he was banished right before winter started, kicked out and uh, sent on his way. In fact, they, they might have killed him if not for the efforts of, uh, of uh, uh, the main guy. I can't remember his name, but... Uh, kind of helped him run away in the middle of the night because they were going to come and uh, string him up, I think. So he ran out there. He, he fell into uh, the hands of the Narragansett Indians and lived with them for a long time. And then eventually negotiated purchasing some land in Rhode Island and founded Providence, Rhode Island, based on religious freedom. The freedom to not be coerced into a faith in Jesus Christ, but to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And felt that everyone should be not only free to choose Christ, but also free to reject Christ. And so Providence, Rhode Island, where the first Baptist church of the Americas is still standing there today, founded in 1638, I think. Uh, it's still there. It's a beautiful church founded on the basis of freedom of religion, that the only real honest faith in Christ is one that was, that was born out of the freedom to choose to be a follower of Jesus. Very important thing. Very important thing. Uh, on the heels... So it was a, and not only that, but um, during that time, Williams and another Baptist, John Clark, worked for 14 years to secure a charter for the colony of Rhode Island that would guarantee, this is the first one of its kind, guarantee religious liber liberty for all the colony's inhabitants. It was the first charter in the world that secured a free, full, and absolute liberty of conscience. And they, they kept petitioning King Charles until he relented because they were so obnoxious about it. And eventually he gave in and gave him this religious freedom charter, first one of its kind. Following on his heels, uh, uh, Isaac Bacchus, uh, a minister in Massachusetts, Baptist minister in Massachusetts, helped bring many 
court cases of persecution against Baptists. Even in the Americas, in the early part of the American colonization, Baptists were being persecuted by other Congregationalists. Isn't that weird? The, <laughs> the folks who, who brought about the Reformation were persecuting the Baptists because of uh, their particular faith beliefs. We live in a strange world. But he brought many cases to the, to the courts of the time about persecution. One story was Esther White. Esther was a, a, a woman who inherited some land and the Congregational Church in Massachusetts wanted to exact a tax on her. The minister of the church wanted to exact a tax on Esther to support the church. And Esther, this was before it was the United States, it was a colony. Esther protested saying, wait a minute, no, I'm Baptist. I, I don't believe in this. My conscience tells me I, should, I shouldn't contribute to this. I'm Baptist. I shouldn't have to. She went to jail and refused to pay for 13 months. She went to jail for a year and a month. And then they were so embarrassed about locking this, this woman up. It wasn't a very big tax. It was, it was a very small uh, amount of money. They were so embarrassed, they finally just let her go. And it was only because Isaac Bacchus kept uh, kept bringing it up in in public places and so finally they let her be and let her go about and when the revolution broke out Bacchus and others began to realize that the Baptist search for religious liberty could be tied to the colonial search for political liberty and in 1774 uh, Bacchus and uh, Caleb Smith and James Manning went to the first Continental Congress in Philadelphia to try and win support from other colonies for the fight for religious liberty in New England. And they were not well received. John Adams, Sam Adams, Robert Treat Payne accused them of trying to use a minor issue to divide the colonies as they were preparing a defense for political liberty. John Leland, when the Constitution was finally drawn up, it, it was the Baptists again in John Leland who insisted that religious freedom needed to be secured in our Constitution. John Leland led Baptists in Virginia in the struggle for religious freedom, and he ardently opposed the idea that the United States was a Christian commonwealth and fervently championed separating church and state. He wrote this, No national church can in its organization be the gospel church. A national church takes in the whole nation and no more. Whereas the gospel church takes in no nation but those who fear God and work righteousness in every nation. The notion of a Christian commonwealth should be exploded forever. If all the souls in a government were saints of God, should they be formed into a society by law, that society could not be a gospel church but a creature of the state. So uh, John Leland fighting for separation of church and state. A Baptist. Leland vowed not to support any constitution that did not include the guarantee of religious liberty. And in fact, he decided to oppose James Madison in his bid for re-election. Went toe-to-toe -to -toe with James Madison over it. And, and James Madison didn't even want a Bill of Rights, let alone religious freedom. Uh, but Leland, in his campaign to unseat Madison, gained a lot of support, which caused some problems for James. 
and he was one of the many as he was one of the many writers of the constitution not wanting to lose the re-election he and leland met famously under a tree in orange county virginia and they had it out for uh more than a day had like a day and a half straight goes the legend uh, when it was all over john leland agreed to withdraw from the election and support madison with the assurance that Madison would advocate for a Bill of Rights that included freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and of course, freedom of religion. Baptists pushed for freedom of religion. After the Constitution was adopted, Leland uh, rejoiced that it would be possible for a pagan Turk, which was the term they used for Islamic, Jew or Christian to be eligible for any post or office in the government. He said that, you know, 200 years ago. I don't know if that's true anymore, but he was rejoicing that the believer or non-believer could hold any office in the United States. All of these joined Paul, the apostle, who heard in Christ a call to freedom at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is this notion of freedom. And it it really does go back to Christ. Jesus, His freedom movement was one of freedom from the rule and the thumb of Rome and the Jewish aristocracy that kept people under their thumb And what Jesus promised was a freedom that transcended whatever anyone did to this body or whatever government did to you or whatever land they took or whatever enslavement you were put under. Freedom is found in your relationship with God and your relationship with Christ. Paul says freedom is found in your ability to walk with the Spirit and There is no need of the shackles of the law. And what Paul was saying and these Baptist pioneers were echoing was that one cannot hope to draw people into a transformative relationship with Christ by trying to compel it by the law. Paul, as we've been reading in the letter of Galatians, urges the early church not to abandon freedom for the easy road of legalism and dogma. Our forerunners at the forming of this great nation also pleaded with the colonies to not take the easy road of a mandated and coerced faith, but to leave the work of conviction to the Holy Spirit and eliminate all other possible motivations from the playing field. And to hold high the right to worship as one wishes or not to worship at all and to secure the civic sphere to uphold the rights of all of its citizens. Roger Williams, Isaac Bacchus, John Leland, what they all were really trying to do was to take away the obstacle between the individual and the Holy Spirit of Christ. Paul, in our text today, points out that one does not need the law to know what sin is. It's obvious. And he lists a few of them there. Debauchery and orgies and drunkenness. But part of what I believe Paul is saying here is that the law 
in all of its volumes, 600 and something different laws in the Jewish tradition of the time, the law has done very little to prevent these things from occurring. They were as rampant in His time as they ever were. All those lists of things. Sinning went right on in spite of the law. So too, the legalism of our day has done little to stem the tide. All the fundamentalists in the world have not stopped all the sinning that we all love to do, have they? Amen. (laughs) What does matter, what is most effective, is a freedom that chooses the Holy Spirit. Amen? When we choose freely to walk with the Spirit, it bears much fruit. And Paul goes to list those as well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't need a law to produce these. In fact, the law will never produce these. You don't need to be coerced or forced or cajoled into a faith to produce these things. In fact, it won't produce these things. You can't coerce joy. You can't contrive gentleness. It comes from one place and one place only, and that's from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen? My point is this. We've been given a freedom. And it's been hard fought. You know, the last person burned at the stake in England was a Baptist standing up for religious freedom. And even as late as 1763, Baptists were being arrested and their lands seized in the colonies. We enjoy freedom today that was secured for us by these early Baptists and many since have continued to nurture that freedom. Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist. And yet sometimes I look around at Christianity and I see that we continue to fall right back into this trap of wanting to have a legalism that forces people into a box. It's as if we have lost our faith in what the Holy Spirit can do. It's as if we don't really trust that when Jesus says, come to Me, that it is enough to convince people that Jesus Christ is worth following. It's as if we have lost our very own faith when we look around and we say, people must believe this or it just isn't right. Or people must adhere to this idea or it just isn't Christianity or it just isn't church. People must fall into a form or a box Or God doesn't really affirm them or love them. In fact, God condemns them. It's as if we don't have faith. It's as if we've forgotten that same Spirit that when we were lost and without hope, that same Spirit that called us to the 
to the side of a loving, a loving God. As if we've forgotten. As if we've forgotten that all the nagging to be good, all the guilt, all the shame, all of the coercion and the forced ideas, we still went right on sinning. And even when we didn't, it was just out of fear. As if we've forgotten that the only real compelling thing out there is God's love. Amen. Amen. I pray that we Baptists, and, and by this I mean the ones who remember our roots <laughs> of freedom, I pray that we Baptists continue to herald that the only real faith is one that is born out of the freedom to become and to know Christ on our own terms. I pray that we continue to lift up this ideal heralded by Paul so long ago, lift, brought to us through Christ, and continue to be fought for over the centuries. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we do thank You for our freedom. We thank You for this place which affords us the right at the moment to choose any kind of worship we want. In fact, sometimes God, it feels like too many choices. But we rejoice in that. We choose You. We choose love. We choose life. May we do it with compassion for the world around us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.